0: Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Thursday, February 8th, day 125 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel, Dan here in our Jerusalem office with editor David Horowitz. Hey, Amanda. We are going to discuss three press conferences that were held last night, one with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, another with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and the third with freed hostages. All this and much, much more when we're back.
1: (music)
0: Last night, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken delivered what could be called a scolding to Israel and said basically that Israel cannot use October 7th as quote, license to dehumanize others. What else did he say, David?
2: Well, it was quite the the appearance. Uh, this is, I think, Tony Blinken's seventh visit to Israel since October the 7th on his, it's his fifth widest shuttle around the region. And in many previous press conferences he has publicly chided Israel for what he has indicated is too much uh, death and devastation in Gaza as Israel tries to dismantle Hamas um he has not um moved away from the the in principle support for Israel's need to dismantle Hamas. He he uses um, terminology now about the imperative to ensure that October the 7th cannot happen again. Uh, He hasn't set ceasefire um, deadlines, um, but he's been relentless in saying more aid has to get in and Israel has to um, take more steps to ensure it is minimizing non-combatant and civilian casualties. But last night, he used as you, as you said you know strikingly um critical language saying that october the 7th was a case of israel being dehumanized and the hostages are dehumanized every day that does not give israel cannot be a license for israel to dehumanize others he was talking about gazans and then he went on to say um that um most people in gaza had nothing to do with october the 7th most people in gaza um, our families just like ours um, who want uh, better lives and, and so on. I mean, the, the use of the word dehumanizing as a charge against Israel is, I'm sure he thought about it very carefully. This was not an answer to a question. This was his prepared uh, uh, talk. Um, he'd been in Israel most of the day. He, he went to see uh, Mahmoud Abbas um, in Ramallah, but he'd been in Israel most of the day and then he came back to Israel. Um, I assume he had very difficult meetings with Israel's leadership because they do not do not see eye to eye on the challenges of the war and how the IDF is dealing with those. There's plainly friction. And, of course, he's also uh, uh, representing a United States where there's lots of domestic opposition to Israel's um, uh, war in, in Gaza against Hamas, uh, where I would say, uh, I'm not convinced, I'm putting this mildly, that the public is really... Um, completely understanding really putting this mildly uh what is playing out here i'm not sure um, how fairly what's playing out here has been covered uh except in the times of israel of course um and you've got a president who's seeking re-election with lots of opposition from his voters within his own party and so on these are all factors nonetheless i have to say i thought that um that that section of what blinken had to say was um
0: the section of the dehumanizing.
2: Yeah, I thought that was uh, over the top, unfair, deeply damaging. Basically, he was, you know, the, the the echo of what those remarks mean is pretty clear to people. I'm not going to say it. Um, and to, to, to throw that charge at an Israel that is battling, it's not a terror group alone. It's a terror group with an army that has dug in, in a self-contained territory where it is also the government, it may well be that most people in Gaza do not support Hamas. I don't know that to be the case. Most people in Gaza are telling Palestinian pollsters that they do support what happened on October the 7th. Um, I can't quantify the more or the less or the proportion. I don't know. I don't know how, you know, we always struggle at the Times of Israel with the credibility of reporting coming out of Gaza because there's no, not that I can see or that I know of, um, genuinely, independent capacity to do journalism in in Gaza we see what our reporters see when they go in and then we have news agencies who are i'm sure in many cases doing their best under very difficult circumstances i don't know how tony blinken knows that most people in Gaza are are just like our families and want what our families want rather than being motivated by um an extremist ideology i know that some of them Um, while they're not Hamas gunmen, are extremely supportive of Hamas gunmen. I mean, who was that guy phoning home to when he was exulting from Israel that he'd just slain, it was a 10 or 12 Jews, mom, dad get on the phone and so on. You know, how much time has Tony Blinken spent in Gaza? I genuinely don't know how much exposure has he had to um, ordinary Gazans and understanding of, of what motivates them and what they care about and what they think about Jews and Israel. And the practicalities of this conflict there, I think he does know, but he has, you know, it wasn't just last night, you know, the, he, he said, you know, over, over many weeks, Israel has a highly sophisticated army, and he believes it to be capable of somehow, um, with some kind of uh, a tweezer, extracting the, the really bad people from amidst the non-combatants, uh, who may or may not be supporting them. I, I don't know, it seemed to me to be a really, really stunningly... Um, bitter uh, and stinging allegation and i think there are many words that he could have used short of those he chose those words he could have issued similar concerns and he has done i think without uh, resorting to that language and i don't um you know i don't know why he chose to do that and uh, you know with this uh, with this person watching it did not go down well
0: blinken is himself jewish And I wonder often if he holds Israel to a higher standard because of that. Do you think his personal background, which does have Holocaust resonance, makes him hold Israel to this higher standard and use such a word as dehumanization when speaking about what's happening in Gaza?
2: I don't know. And it's not, you know, it's not my business. Well, maybe this part of my business to try and understand the psychology behind it, but and really, I don't, want to, I don't want to go over the top in my criticism here, and I'm trying to be careful with what I say. Um, somebody from, from that kind of background, you would want to believe, would be incredibly careful about the language that they choose to use. And I'm sure he thinks that that's what he did, that he was very careful. He selected these words because he thought they were appropriate. Um, I find that really troubling. And, uh, you know, we can leave it at that.
0: He is, of course, here to try and uh, produce several deals, Uh, one, Lebanon, which we've discussed this week on the podcast, and two, of course, the hostage release uh, deal or the hostage release proposal that was uh, produced by Hamas, which is, as many people here in Israel feel, a non-starter. And he was asked that actually last night at the press conference. Is it DOA at this point?
2: Yeah, he, he actually mentioned it in his prepared remarks and then he was asked about it and he used almost the same language. He said there were elements in the Hamas um, counter-proposal that were um, clearly non-starters, but there was space within the response, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, to leave open the possibility for the negotiations getting somewhere and a deal and that, that's what the United States would continue to try to do. Um, he's really here. He was. He, it's It's three things. I would add a third thing, which is to... And this has also been a feature almost the entire period since October the 7th of, you know, to, to not sound too, too flip about this, turning a crisis into an opportunity and to try to push Israel towards uh, the Israeli government, a changed stance on Palestinian statehood. And he he spoke a lot about that last night. Again, he's spoken about it in the past. The Saudis were ready to move towards normalisation. There has to be a pathway to a Palestinian state, an irreversible pathway to a Palestinian state. Um, it, it you know, I'm <laughs> my my views are not a secret. Um, uh, you know, Israel needs to find a way, if it can, to separate from the Palestinians safely, if it wants to maintain its Jewish and democratic status. I mean, that's that's not a uh, I don't think that's an opinion. I think that's a fact. If there are, you know, large numbers of people who are not um, invested in in Israel's foundational values, who are who become part of Israel, then we either lose our democracy to try to keep the Israel we want, or we lose our Jewish uh, 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 majority, well, our, our Jewish defining capacity here. Right? We 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 need to find a way to separate from the Palestinians for for their sake potentially and certainly for ours this is the moment at which that looks less promising than I would say ever um, since 1967. And you could argue, you know, the whole modern history of Israel. We have just been invaded by the quasi-country next door where we weren't. There was no Israeli presence there. We had separated from the Palestinians that did not quench the lust to kill us. And that invasion and slaughter in Israel... Is overwhelmingly supported by the Palestinians of the West Bank, so I don't think there's any way forward here without different mindsets coming to dominate on on uh, 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 <laughs> everywhere in this conflict. The idea that this is the moment to try to persuade Israel that and he I think he believes this that he th- I think he believes Israel's only viable survival strategy is. Uh, an accommodation with the Palestinians, and then wider regional integration. He thinks that he's trying to save Israel from himself. That argument for Israel, for Israelis in the middle ground, has never been less credible. Right? You've got you know the 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 lefty Kibbutzim of the Gaza border, many of whom were were lifelong peace activists who were trying to build better relations, were targeted by the people next door. Um, the, the, the sentiment being expressed among West Bank Palestinians, you know, that it makes the 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 likelihood that mainstream Israel is going to urge its government to pursue an accommodation. I mean, you've had Isaac Herzog; we've said this before in Davos two weeks ago, saying no Israeli in their right mind is thinking about peace right now or a peace process right now. That's the former head of the Labor Party speaking, just representing mainstream thinking. Again, I come back to. I think Israel needs to find a way to separate from the Palestinians if we want to keep a Jewish democratic Israel. Now is not the best time to believe that that is possible. Now, again, Blinken presumably thinks, yeah, but 10 years from now you might not have that opportunity or five years from now. And the Saudis are almost there. You have to, okay, you have to open a path to Palestinian statehood. A Palestinian state to be run by whom? By a, a Palestinian leader in his late 80s who has a instinctive obsession with minimizing, i.e. denying the Holocaust, whose security forces work with Israel, yes, because partly because he would not survive a day if the Israeli army was not deployed in the West Bank and so on. And he's the relative good guy. You know, he's just paying the the, the families of the terrorists and, and therefore sort of encouraging terrorism financially uh, and telling Israel that it has no legitimacy and the Jewish people have no history in this part of the world. He's the good guy, right? Hamas are the bad guys. It's not, you know, the best alternative as far as the middle ground of Israel is concerned. Now, we may all come to look back and say, wow, that was really the, the last chance and maybe there was an opportunity there and Tony Blinken was right and now it's too late. And, you know, we, I haven't talked in my long ramble now about the changing nature of Israel and the fact that the far right is a dominant part, part of the government now. is pushing to reoccupy Gaza and resettle Gaza. I mean, it seems to me... So the mainstream is caught between um you know some some fairly <laughs> contradictory poles Uh, An American Secretary of State was saying, hey, now's the time to put your, I don't know, faith or trust. Don't worry, we'll give you security guarantees. And so will all the players that I've met within this region. They're prepared to do unprecedented things, things they wouldn't have done in the past, to allay Israeli security concerns on the one hand. And the far right dominating government and wanting to liberate all of the biblical uh, um, Israel and so on. Wisdom is usually between the poles and some of what this administration is Urging seems to me to be um, closer to the poles, <laughs> closer to the extremes than than wisdom would necessitate.
0: We'll go to a short break and then hear what Benjamin Netanyahu has to say. So, Prime Minister Benjamin, I got married this Monday in the middle of a war.
2: You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like, my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories, Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now and he told me take with you a sleeping bag and a tent (laughs) and just go I texted him on like after I was told that he was killed
0: from their eyes I was a traitor
2: everybody needs their like blankie their
0: teddy bear something to make them feel safe I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war
2: these children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about
0: sex during my eulogy for Edom.
2: Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Netanyahu also held a press conference last night prior to the Blinken press conference in which he rejected Hamas's, quote, delusional conditions for a new hostage deal, arguing that only military pressure will secure the release of the Israelis being held captive in the Gaza Strip, which is a bit Confusing to me because ostensibly Netanyahu did agree to some kind of hostage release deal in which there was reportedly at least a long pause. So, who is Netanyahu speaking to right now, and what is the truth?
2: Well, I think he was. uh, It's interesting. All all of the mechanics of these things are interesting. It's interesting that he and Blinken both uh, held press conferences. Not surprising. I mean, Blinken has, I think, almost every time, maybe every time he's been had a press conference. Um, and he's done them on his own. There, there were visits where he had sort of joint statements along with the Prime Minister. Um, but Netanyahu, did he want to speak to the country before Blinken spoke to the country? I don't know where that was in there. By the way, Blinken was so late that he missed... He, the news in Israel these days runs for about two hours, so he was actually so late that by the time he held his press conference, even the extended news had ended and we were into um, Eretz Nehederet. Um a wonderful country um, satire show. So they didn't show his press conference.
0: But so. that also shows who Blinken was speaking to, right?
2: Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so he, you're telling me he didn't really want Israelis to, or he was not, he didn't want Israelis to hear him. He wanted to minimize the number of Israelis. I don't think. He
0: knew Israelis would hear him, but he was speaking to the American audience for the five o'clock news. No, no, no <laughs>
2: Maybe it just took him, he had to digest what Netanyahu had said a couple of hours earlier and add that and decide quite how <laughs> critical he was going to be. I don't know. But it was interesting. Netanyahu wanted to speak before Blinken was speaking, um, and in answer to your question, Netanyahu was really addressing the specifics. I think of of what Hamas was saying. Uh, I don't think there's a contradiction there. I don't even think that Israel. In fact, I don't think it's the case that Israel has broken off this process. I think the you know the the, the behind the scenes and the and the indirect uh, processes are continuing. Um, there's, there's various things going on. I think there's Hamas people in in Cairo again today. Um, that was certainly going to be the case. I'm sure there's all sorts of contacts with you know, the United States behind the scenes, and with the Egyptians and so on. So I don't I don't think the process has halted. What Netanyahu was responding to was the specifics of what Hamas uh, came back with, which was a 135 day that's you know four and a, four and a bit months of a truce, with a demand that this lead to, you know, the, the language is complicated a ceasefire by which they mean a permanent ceasefire. Um, all kinds of demands, including large numbers of prisoner releases, including large numbers of releases, we think, by the way, of Palestinian murderers and people with blood on their hands and so on, um, and all sorts of other conditions as well. All of this is complicated by the fact that there's very little that is definitive, and there's even the things that you thought were definitive. There was stuff that, pe- that people in Hamas said in the last two days, that appeared to, to be presented as part of the response, but maybe were not part of the formal response, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Netanyahu was responding to delusional demands, the demands that you would expect to be made from people who believe themselves to have the upper hand and um, that Israel is not going to agree to. Israel is not going to agree to stop the war, could stop as an end. Could Israel halt the fighting for four months to get all the hostages out? There's plenty of people in the IDF who would say that indeed Israel can, that it would have to retake and refight in areas and Hamas would have reorganized and redeployed and all sorts of things like that. But I think many people in the army would say that yes, Israel can deal with that and the hostages is, is urgent. Um, and then additional demands for like vast numbers of really evil people who are good at killing people, um, they have to p- go free as well. Is that something that Israel, again, there'd be many people who'd say yes. That's also something Israel can live with. We'll be fighting Hamas for a long, long time, etc., etc. I think a a big consideration is whether the United States would allow Israel to resume the fighting after a four-month pause. Remember, Israel is dependent on American munitions, American military supplies, to practically fight this war. So it's complicated. And Netanyahu was saying the terms that Hamas has has put up, then they're, they're not terms that are that are ultimately tenable for Israel. Does that mean he's closing the door on a on a hostage deal? I don't think so.
0: One of the phrases he used last night was something along the lines of a victory for Israel is a victory for the free world. I thought that was really interesting to hear because he is tying this together with the entire region, if not the global concern, and and I just wonder. Does that have resonance
2: outside of Israel, though? It's not the first time he said it, and it's a kind of counter to Blinken saying, you know, the world is or parts of this region, much of this region, is seeking to join the alliance of the, you know, the good people, and would would have Israel part of that with the United States support and so on, and that way you face down the Iranians and 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 their. Um, Violent, to um, so put it mildly, proxies. I mean, Blinken actually, you know, spoke of that. Netanyahu is saying we want to integrate in this region, but the only way that the Saudis and anybody else is going to partner with us and recognise the value that a partnership with us brings is if we are able to dismantle Hamas. And then they'll he, you know, he's he also said he was asked about this. He was actually asked about this. Um, um, I think it might have been um, our our colleague Sam Sokol who asked the question. Um, But that may have been um, a question just before or just after. Um, You know, he said, I'm trying to recruit other forces in this region to help deal with post-war civil governance in Gaza. But to be honest, I don't have much faith in my own efforts because they're not ready to get involved so long as they see Hamas still having capabilities that they think they'll be killed if they try to step in and make things better in Gaza. So it's all very well to talk about the day after and so on. The day after requires that you first dismantle Hamas. Now, there's problems with that as well, because you know how do you achieve the day after um, and how you tell the army how to to get you to the stage of the day after if you don't have some kind of accommodations you know i would say most especially right now with egypt the army has not entered rafiah or rafah at the southern tip of gaza the border area between gaza and egypt because there isn't that politically provided coordination with egypt so you can't leave everything to, to, to the day after, because you're not going to get there unless you have a degree of coordination and a stronger relationship. But what, uh, you know, what Netanyahu said about, you know, the, the victory for the free world, he said from the beginning, a victory for the moderate forces in the region, he thinks depends on dismantling Hamas. And then the more positive f- forces are, are liberated to, you know, uh, uh, come forward. It's telling in this regard that in Blinken's previous trips and he went around the region, he didn't get condemnations of Hamas because it's the, the people he went to were, I mean, you can make of it what you want. You have to conclude. They're too afraid to stand up and say, that was terrible what happened on October the 7th. Unacceptable. There were some expressions like that. But broadly speaking, he didn't get those condemnations. And Netanyahu is saying, of course not. First, we have to defeat Hamas. Then the forces of good will be ready to partner with us and step in.
0: And of course, the third voice that we heard from last night was uh, five women who were released from from Gaza. They were, all five of them, hostages. And their message was extremely clear that absolute victory can only come when all hostages. And they actually noted 136 hostages are released. And that includes, of course, those who were taken or captured prior to the October 7th onslaught.
2: So netanyahu speaks of absolute victory and he, he said it several times last night we won't stop until there's absolute victory which he first and foremost i think um defined as dismantling hamas includes returning the hostages and includes ensuring that n- no terrorist force can threaten israel from gaza again and that's why the the five um women who were released in, in late November at their press conference used that same word, absolute victory. Absolute victory is the, is the returning of all the hostages. Um, and, you know, their desperation is amplified by the fact that they have firsthand experience of what the remaining hostages are going through. And it's also amplified by the the constantly rising numbers of the believed dead among the hostages um so you know as the as the days weeks and months have gone by Israel has now formally confirmed um that 29 of those um still in Gaza taken hostage on October the 7th are believed to be dead um two of the four um people held captive before October the 7th are also um long believed dead so 31 um hostages held in Gaza, as far as we know, are definitively believed to be dead. And then there was this um, uh, report in the New York Times um, two, three days ago, asserting that Israeli officials fear that another 20 of the October the 7th hostages are dead. I think it it, it is the belief that many um, of those feared 20 were feared dead from October the 7th. It may be that some are believed to have died in captivity. That is not an official figure. But that means that if you're the family of anybody who's believed to be held hostage, there is now this information swirling around there which suggests to you that official Israel hasn't told you everything that it might know. Uh, someone in official Israel has seen fit to leak this material to a, a foreign newspaper. Um, you know, Can you imagine what the families? Uh, this abiding nightmare just one one, uh, one more little twist of the knife there um that people have information that you've not been told it might affect your loved ones i mean it's just unimaginable and of course you know the vast majority of the relatives of the hostages are doing what most people would do if their loved ones were held by monstrous people so close by they're screaming from every possible platform that israel must do everything that it can and that's the 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 unenviable dilemma of leadership what is what is it what is it possible to do how do you most effectively get the hostages out without imperiling the the well the safety of millions of others where do you draw that line when you're up against a cynical terrorist organization capable of anything and everything any and every brutality monstrosity and lie making outrageous demands it's a you know it's the precise dilemma that hamas intended to cause by abducting so many people from their homes and communities in the first place
0: david thank you for all of your insights today thanks amanda thanks for listening to the times of israel's daily briefing please check out another installment tomorrow this episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at, at com. Until tomorrow, shalom.